All right, so our little ones will, of course, be dismissed up front with Miss Tori, and then our, our nursery, of course, is always available in the back as well. And we're going to take our Bibles, and boy, I've got so many different scriptures I want to show you today, but they're, they're important and they're good. Let's start off turning to the book of Psalm, and we'll look at Psalms chapter number 2. So the second Psalm. I've actually got two, two different places we're going to go there. We're going to look at Proverbs. We're going to look in Daniel and Matthew and Isaiah. Man, so many different scriptures today. Last week, I, I asked you this question. Uh, we asked, what do you want out of the Messiah? That's what we asked. And here's why we asked it. I, I, I wanted you to go back in your mind to the very first century. When Christ was born, he lived and he died. And while Jesus was walking the earth, there were a number of people that could have looked at the things, the circumstances surrounding his birth. And we did this. We looked in the Old Testament and we saw that his birth fulfilled many of those prophecies. He was born of a virgin. We know he came out of Bethlehem. We know that he was of Nazareth. So he was a Nazarene. He, he fulfilled these prophecies. He was of the tribe of Judah. So he came from King David's kingly line. And now here he is. He was presenting himself saying, I am here to save the people from their sin. And that's what got people caught up. Because there was what once even a great mob of people that we read about, and I think it was Luke where we turned to, where they went to Jesus. They were going to grab him by force, and they were going to make him their king. They were going to take him, set him up, and proclaim, you are now our king. But Jesus just kind of slipped away and says, nope. That's not why I'm here right now. He was here to save people from their sin. So while Jesus was doing all these things, he was here with a purpose. Folks, he came to die. In fact, if you go back to the book of Genesis, we already see there is a prophecy there that he was going to have to die long before even the nation of Israel had ever even come to pass. So he always knew that he would have to come and pay for our sin. So then when he was born... The Bible even says, hey, you're going to call him Jesus. He will be called Emmanuel because he will save these people from their sin. Now, what everyone wanted, though, they wanted someone to save them from the Roman government. Because remember, they would look out their windows and they saw Roman soldiers marching around their town. They were having to pay taxes to the Roman government. Interestingly, Jesus even said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. They were having to pay homage to a country that was not their own. They said, Lord! You promised us a Messiah. And we looked at those prophecies. There was going to be someone to come and fix it all. And that's what they were wanting. They said, oh, you're here. You're going to fix it. But they weren't wanting what Jesus was offering. So the question we asked last week was, what is it that you want out of Jesus? Are you looking for someone that's going to fix all of your temporary problems here on the earth? Or are you actually looking for a Savior? Folks, that's our greatest need. More than all the problems that I have that are temporary that I have in this life, because we know there's another life to come. All the temporary problems I have here, yes, Christ cares about them, but more important than those are my sins that need to be forgiven. Because those sins literally have a place for me in hell. And Christ came to forgive those. So, that's what we talked about last week. What is it that you want out of the Messiah? Today we're going to look at this, and we're going to kind of ask this question. We're going to ask, who was this man to you? 
what do you, what do you see in this man? And here's, here's why I kind of divided this up. This is actually kind of a part two of last week. Last week, we looked at all the prophecies that were leading up to his birth that show, okay, he's going to be born of a virgin. Uh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He is going to, uh, you're going to call his name Emmanuel. We looked at all these things that actually precede who he's going to be. He'll be from the tribe of Judah. And we saw that Jesus did those. Now, here's the neat thing. There are a bunch of prophecies. Some people say upwards of like 300, depending on how you look at them. Uh, more definitively, some people say around like 55 that are point blank. Today, we're only going to look at a, just a handful, but they're really good. There's a lot of prophecy that we didn't know was being fulfilled until after Jesus was born, lived, and died. Then you go back in the Old Testament and you say, oh, man, that really was him. Man, th there it is. He did all these things, and they didn't know about it until even after he died. Folks, those are the scriptures I want to show you today because now that's where we are. We are now living in the time after Christ's death. So if you want to make it a little bit more personal, I want you to put yourself there again. Imagine right now, it is the year, oh, let's say the year 50. Jesus Christ, you've heard about this guy. You've seen some of his followers. You've met some of his followers. You're living in that place, and you remember that preacher that was walking around your area, and people were following him. They were just going nuts over him. Then you remember the Romans, how they got really upset with him, and, and all the Jews didn't like him either, so they put him on the cross, and they killed him. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, I remember that. But you're also someone that understands the Old Testament. You've read it because you're a Jew. You've been taught the Old Testament. And now you're hearing the stories, and you're thinking, huh, that what he did, the Bible said was going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the beauty of prophecy. I want to show you some of these. Maybe some of these you've seen before. Maybe some of them you haven't. But nonetheless, you are going to be accountable for answering this question. Who was Jesus to you? Not what do you want out of him. Who is he? Because the people that lived there at that time, there were a lot of people that met Jesus, and they had to answer that question. Is he just a man, or was he the son of God? That's what you've got to ask. Was he just a man, or was he the son of God? It's very unfortunate today. There are a lot of men who are very, very intellectual, far smarter than I will ever be. And they read the Bible and use it as a historical textbook. They'll use it as a book of philosophy. They'll use it as a book of, of uh, human interaction. And I was like, oh, man, there's so much good stuff in there. And then you'll ask him, okay, yeah, but was Jesus the son of God? And that's where they break down. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people that can know the Bible frontwards, backwards, and upside down. But if they do not confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they are not born again. And that's what we have to answer. So let's take our Bibles. I want to first open you up to the book of Psalm. Let's turn to chapter number 2. The book of Psalm in chapter number 2. I want to present to you some of these prophecies. And I want to show you that we're going to flip forward in our Bible in some of these cases. And you're going to remember, oh, I've heard this. I've seen this. And it will have been something written 2,000 years after the prophecy, which is really neat. Psalms chapter number 2. I'm going to read this, actually, this whole chapter. The, one, the main verse I want you to see is at the very end. And also, before we start reading, I just want you to know this. So, so this, this will help you as we read it. There are some very interesting ways that God told prophets to write. David, one of them. Isaiah, one of them. They wrote in first person but they were talking about something that was going to happen to Jesus. 
That's, it's, actually, it's actually very interesting. Hey, I did this. I went through this. But it was also foretelling Jesus. And so it's, it's kind of weird. It's almost like it was written for a dual purpose. But, and you see them both when you read it, which is amazing. Psalm chapter number 2. Let's look at verse number 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? King David's getting kind of upset about the heathens and how they are so pronounced at his time. Why is the sin everywhere? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Boy, that sounds like today. The heathen don't want anything to do with God. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Here's what's happening. Dual things. This is David writing. David got to be king. Who in the future is going to be set on the holy hill of Zion? Jesus. So let's keep reading. Verse number 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. Ah. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Now we're seeing a son that's going to sit on a throne that is going to wipe out all of the heathen. Who does that sound like? Right? Jesus. Verse number 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, and be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now watch verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are they that put their trust in him. Man. Folks, if you're catching that, Kiss the son. <laughs> Kiss the son. Trust in him, lest you get caught up in the way. What's going on? Folks, David is kind of almost passionately talking about how he is going to be, a, how he as the king sees all the heathen around and he wants to wipe out the wickedness. But much more specifically in this passage, we see that one day Jesus Christ, the son, is going to be set on the holy hill of Zion. He's going to wage war against the heathen. And every individual person has a choice. They are going to kiss the son, as in pay homage to him. They will kneel to him. They will bow to him. Or they're going to get caught up in his anger and they will get wiped out in the way. Folks, that's Old Testament. That's something that you wouldn't see unless here we are today knowing what Jesus is going to one day do, knowing what has now happened and where we are. So we're looking back. I want to show you another one, and this one is even more specific than that. Flip forward to Psalm chapter number 22. Psalms chapter 22. And before we read it, pop quiz. You remember what Jesus said when he, he said actually just a couple of things. But do you remember specifically what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross? His hands were spread out. He was nailed. The crown of thorns was put on his head. One of the things he said was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Another thing he said, as right as he get ready to, was dying, he said, okay, it's finished. And he gave up the ghost. What was finished? He defeated sin. That was, that was it. He, he, he finished it right there. There was the third thing he said. Psalms chapter number 22, verse number 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. That's 
That's long before Jesus was even born. Why? Because this chapter is also foretelling Jesus that he was going to come and what he was going to do. And I wonder how many Jews were standing in the audience watching Jesus having a spear stuck in his side. And then when he said those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If those Jews didn't go, oh. Because they remembered this passage as well. The Jews knew these passages. And now they're hearing him say it. Look at the rest of the verse, because they were watching this unfold. Let's go over to, uh, let's skip down to verse number, um, let's skip down to verse number 11. I'm going to read several verses here. Be not far from me, for trouble is near me, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. What happened when the spear hit Jesus in the side? Blood and water poured out. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Remember, they offered Jesus vinegar because he said, I thirst, right? He's talking about how he was even thirsty. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me in the assembly of the wicked, having closed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now Jesus is crying out the same words as Psalm 22. While his hands were pierced, while there were holes in his hands and feet, and while there was a hole in his side. Verse number 17. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. The Bible says that Jesus, later on, when you see his crucifixion, he was so mangled, the Bible says that he wasn't recognizable as a man. You could see his bones. And now here you're reading it in Psalms long before it ever happened. Look at verse number 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Do you remember what they did with Jesus' purple robe at his feet? They were gambling over who gets to keep his clothes. Again, this prophecy, you wouldn't have known what it was about unless you were a Jew standing there watching it happen. And I wonder how many of those Jews and how many of those Pharisees had read this chapter over and over and over. And then they're seeing Jesus hanging there, him saying the words, them seeing the, hands in, the holes in his hands and his feet, them seeing the holes in his side, and then them watching the Roman soldiers gamble over his garment didn't go, oh, can't help but wonder. Folks, these are, again, those things where we look back. And I know this is not a little bit post-Christmas story, but we're talking about Jesus and why he came. These are prophecies that we see that we are now held accountable for, and we have to ask ourselves, who was he? Was he just a man that was guilty of blasphemy that was worthy of death, or was he the Son of God? Let's flip over. Let's go to Proverbs chapter number, Proverbs chapter number 30. What I'm showing you right now is this, the evidence of his deity. If you're, taking, if you're taking notes, this is number one. I'm showing you the evidence that he is God, the evidence of his deity. Proverbs chapter number 30. And I may have the wrong scripture because I'm not seeing the verse that I was hoping for there. 
I'm sorry, verse number four. I was about to say verse number three. It's number four. So Proverbs, it is chapter number 30. Look at verse number four. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the winds in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? And who hath established all the ends of the earth? Well, you look at those and you answer that question. You say, oh, well, God did. Yeah, we know that. That was God. Look at the last part. What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? You see, there we also know that, yes, God is in heaven. God did all these things. And they're asking the rhetorical question, what is his name? And then the question is asked, what is the name of his son? Folks, there as well, there should be absolute evidence that the person that came that was going to fulfill these prophecies was not just a man, but he was the son of God. That's what people couldn't grasp. They just saw, and, and I'm going to show you something here in a minute in Isaiah. They just saw another man. It, it would almost be like me. No, please, there is no disrespect when I say this. I'm going to explain myself. Imagine if I were standing here in front of you today and said, hey, I'm the son of God. I'm, I'm him. You would be looking at me and going, yeah, but you're just a regular guy. You know, you're, you're just you, man. We know you. We've seen you grow up. You know, we've seen you get tired. We know that you, you, you face this problem. We know that you've, you've done this. You're just human. So was he. He was born as a baby in a manger, in a barn with animals to a poor family that was under captivity at that time. There was nothing special about him. So when people saw him, they just said, uh, yeah, he's just another Jew just like us. He's nothing special. And the Son of God was right there in their presence, and they just couldn't grasp it. And this is what's so sad today. There's so many people that we take this very same gospel, and we show them, Jesus loves you. And they say, yeah, okay. That's good for you. Okay. And then it hurts when we see people deny the Son of God, because we know that's what their salvation is. So we know that there is a son of God. Who is he and what is the name of his son? Flip with me over to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter number 7. Daniel also did this. He has a good number of prophecies through there, things that have come to pass and things that still will. Daniel is after the book of Ezekiel. Daniel chapter number 7. I, I want to, th- this is something I actually had to, had to learn myself. Have you ever noticed there was a specific name that Jesus gave himself in the New Testament? He called himself over and over the Son of Man. Have you ever, you ever seen that or read it? Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And I remember reading that myself. I'm like, well, that's weird. He's the son of God. Why is he calling himself the son of man? Here is why. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Jesus did not claim to be God. Daniel chapter number 7. Let's read verse number 13. Daniel 7, verse number 13. Daniel is having a vision. Look at what he saw in his vision. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Verse number 14. And there was given him dominion and glory 
and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel had a vision, and he saw someone that everyone in his vision was calling the son of man. He's a man. He looks like a man. He's the son of man. Yet he's given a kingdom, and the entire world worships this one guy? So now here you go to the New Testament. Jesus is saying, I'm the son of man. An exact reference back to this is saying, I am he. I am the one you guys have been looking for. Hey, all of you Israelites that have been studying the book of Daniel, that's me. And he was saying that just in a name. So the question is, here again, when he made this claim, what do you do with him? And I realize it's just one question I'm asking today, but it's a question we all need to ask ourselves. This is the crux between someone who is lost and someone who is saved. What do you do with Jesus? Who is he to you? I'm going to show you one more, then we'll switch gears just a little bit. Let's go to Matthew chapter number 16. I know it's been a lot of flipping today, but I want you to see it. Matthew chapter number 16. Definitely a more academic style message, but this is good. We need this stuff. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13. Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 13. This is when Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, what he did. He says, hey, all right, disciples, here I am, the son of man. Who are people saying that I am? There's the question. Who do they say that I am? Do they say that I am the son of God or they say I'm just another guy? And that is the question that we need to be taking to our families. Folks, that's the question you need to be taking to your loved ones, to your friends, to your neighbors. Who do you say that Jesus is? I was you know, I, I'm remind, and I, I made reference to this a few minutes ago, and I may have even mentioned it before. There's a guy right now. He's a very intellectual man. I've listened to him and some of his stuff. He's good. Uh, Jordan Peterson. I've even talked about him here before. He's a guy that even as someone who is, in my opinion, not born again, but he gives lectures on the scriptures. And he was asked in an interview once, like, hey, man, do you, do you call yourself a Christian? And he says, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, because, you know, I... I I follow the principles of the Bible. I try to do what it says, and he goes through all the intellectual stuff of it. And then the interviewer stopped and says, no, I am asking, do you personally believe that Jesus was a guy that was born, lived, died, and then rose again three days later? And then he stopped, and he couldn't say yes. Someone that is so sound and so close, almost like, oh, we're going to talk about him next year, almost like Judas. Someone that was so close to the Son of God that he could have kissed him on the cheek and yet still died and went to hell. You see, that's a, that's a dangerous place to be, to have all the evidence, to have all the scriptures, to have all the truth, and to have seen all of the proof and yet still deny the truth. So what I've shown you right here is this. In all of these scriptures, Jesus Christ actually proved his deity. There was one point, and we'll not turn there. There was a one point they were asking Jesus who he was, and Jesus called himself, I am. Now, who said I am? 
That was God. Man, he told that to the Israelites. I mean, Moses asked him, Moses, Lord, when, when I go to the Israelites, who do I say sent me? He said, just tell them that I am sent you. Didn't Jesus call himself the same name? Yes, Jesus claimed to be God. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Jesus, born in a manger, never claimed to be God because he did many, many times. Now, here's what I want to show you next. We're, we're done with so much flipping. We're going to spend probably a good rest of our time over in Isaiah chapter number 53. Folks, I want you to turn back with me to this passage. Isaiah chapter number 53. And if you've, if you've never read this, this would be an excellent, excellent study for you to go at home to read every verse individually and just, I don't know, chew on it for a minute. This is another one of those where you and I know what's happening here, but at the time it was written, they had no idea because they hadn't seen Jesus yet. Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to start reading in verse number one. And now I've showed you Jesus. There was evidence of his deity. Now let me show you the evidence of his sufficiency. And this is what I mean is he is good enough. He is the only way. Isaiah 53 verse number one. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That arm being Jesus. Watch this. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that we shall, excuse me, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Pause. Jesus grew up amongst his own brethren, amongst the Israelites, as a man. He, he had to grow. That means he went through the period of his twos and threes and fours. No disrespect, but I want to draw you the picture. Jesus Christ, the man, had a time where he went through potty training. Jesus Christ, the God himself, had to learn how to talk. He, he wasn't born coming out of the womb understanding speech. Ladies and gentlemen, he was a baby, just like our children are babies. The Bible says that he made himself obedient. He made himself as a man and became as man is. We don't often think about God being that way. But that's why also it says this here. Look at this verse, the second part of verse number two. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is... This is something that amazes me. Have you ever had a politician walk into the room, and as soon as you see him, you're like, huh, there's a politician. I mean, really. There's just something about the way they walk, the way they dress, the way they, the way they talk, the way they carry themselves. It's just like that guy's like a governor or a senator or something. They, they just, there's just something about the way they look. The Bible says about Jesus that he was not beautiful to look at. He has no form he has no comeliness. And if you were to see him walking through a crowd, he wouldn't look any different than anyone else. The Bible says that he's humble in that way. Let's keep reading. Verse number three. He is despised and rejected of men. Jesus was rejected. A man of sorrows. Jesus had a very sorrowful life. And acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ came to die for us, and yet people hid their faces from him. They didn't want anything to do with him. 
I mean, they listened to him for a while when they thought he was going to, you know, maybe overthrow the Roman government. But then they betrayed him and put him on a cross. Verse number four. This is where it gets personal. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Folks, this was Isaiah. This was, this was before Christmas. This is before Jesus went to the cross. And he's talking about a man who, because of his stripes, his wounds, healed us. His brokenness made us whole. His sorrow gives us peace. Who was that? Jesus. Now we can look back at these passages, having come through the life of Jesus, and say, they didn't see it then, but we can see it now, because we know what happened. We see it. And so there we are once again faced with the same question. Now that you know who Jesus was, what are you doing with him? Who is he to you? Is he another man? Or is he God in the flesh? Folks, we see he is sufficient. He is sufficient. Verse number 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Folks, they put him on the cross, and he didn't do anything wrong. So whose crimes did he pay for? Ours. It was all for us. So this man, it was also foretold, not just that he would be the son of God, but he would be the one that fixes our sin problem. They knew that way back in Isaiah. Now I'm going to show you one more, and we'll be done. I showed you the evidence of his deity. By the way, we've only gone to the New Testament just once. There's the evidence of his deity. Now let's look at the evidence of his royalty. This one's a pretty big one. Well, we don't talk about this one very much. I want to show you the evidence of his royalty. Um, let's stay here in Isaiah since we're already there. Isaiah chapter number 40. Isaiah chapter number 40. We'll look at the first few verses. Isaiah chapter number 40. Verse number 3. Isaiah 40, verse number 3. <laughs> the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Who do you think that is? John. Let's go to the book of John. Chapter number 1. John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1, verse number 23. Well, 23 is one we're going to look at. I do this all the time. Let's read 22 and 23. The Gospel of John, chapter number 1, verse number 22. Then said they unto him, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? They were looking at John the Baptist, this nut that was living out in the wilderness, eating grasshoppers and wearing camel's hair. And then he says in verse number 23, He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. John said it right there. He's like, look at me. Remember the prophecy over in Isaiah 40? That's me. I am here to tell you that the king is coming. Boy, if that's not another evidence of Jesus Christ's royalty right there, I don't know what else is. He had his forerunner. 
And then we're going to finish with this. Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. By the way, all of these things are evidence of the scripture's perfection of itself. I've just shown you a few things back and forth how perfectly fit together the Bible is, even though it was written by 40 different men over a period of like, was it 2,000 years, something to that effect? I forgot how many years it was. How is it that the Bible perfectly fits together so well, being written by so many different men at so many different time periods? Because it's a holy book. Matthew chapter number one. Let's look at verse number one. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go through this, and we're not going to look at it, but this is amazing. Jesus Christ was a son of David in two ways. Now, please, this isn't, there isn't anything sinful about this. I'll explain myself. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a descendant of King David himself. Joseph was also a descendant of King David himself. It had been so many generations past at this point that they were very, 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 very distant cousins. But they were both descendants of King David. That means when Jesus was born, because he came from Mary, he had royal blood pumping through his veins. Oh, but he wasn't born of a son. Okay, so Joseph, also a son of David, adopts him. That gives Jesus every right, every privilege, and every duty to sit on King David's throne, which he will one day do. There can be no doubt. All Jesus would have had to do is walk up and show his genealogy list. Hey, nation of Israel, look who I am. I come from the line of David. I come from the tribe of Judah, and I am next in line to sit on the throne of Israel. You can actually find both genealogies of Mary and Joseph in the New Testament. And folks, Jesus has that right. So yes, when they were going to go take Jesus by force, Jesus, come with us. We're going to set you up and make you our king. Legally, that would have worked. But he said, not yet. I've got some other business to attend to first. That was the business of the cross. And they weren't ready to hear that. That business is coming. It's going to show up one day. But folks, that still leaves us with our question, and now we're done. Even from the Old Testament, you can see evidences of Jesus being God himself. His deity was there. It was told that God has a son. What is his name, and what is the name of his son? Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be caught in the way. We know God has a son. It told us in the Old Testament. Then Jesus showed up and said, hey, here I am. I'm the son of man that Daniel talked about. I am the I am. And then when we see him suffering on the cross and it doing exactly what Isaiah 53 said, and then when we see the holes in his hands and his feet and the water spilling from his side and doing exactly what Psalm 22 said, then Jesus quoting scripture saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Also repeating what David said. There's no doubt that he was who he said he was. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What do you believe? Who, who do you say that he was? You see, there were a large number of people that said, nope, crucify him. He's not that guy. Crucify him. There were also a large number of people after he died from the preaching of the disciples and the 12 apostles that said, oh, yeah, he was who he said he was. 
and those people became born again, and now we have the start of the church, which we are in today, which is an amazing thing. But it all comes down to us individually. You have the evidence. You've seen it. It's in the scriptures. These scriptures have been here for 2,000 years. We've always been able to look back and see it. You have to answer for yourself. Do you believe he's just another man? Or do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that means if you actually confess that he is him, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's all coming down to you believing in him. And it even said that over in Psalms 22. You don't want to get caught up in the wake of Jesus' anger when he pours it out in the wrath. In fact, instead, you want to trust in him. The gospel's even found in the book of Psalms. So folks, let's just have every head bowed and every eye closed. And we'll close the message in this way. And really, it just comes down to two simple questions. Number one, just like Jesus asked Peter, whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do you say that Jesus is? That is the heart of your salvation. Do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God whom he claimed to be? Or do you just think it's another good story? A man, we, you know, maybe we should just follow his teachings. There's good stuff in his teachings, but, but he wasn't God. Folks, that is what determines whether you're a child of God or not. And then secondly is this. If you are a child of God, you've trusted in Christ, you have confessed Jesus, and you believe that Christ has raised him from the dead, and you are saved, what are you doing with this message? Are you carrying this message to others? Are you showing others that there is salvation and no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved? Let's be busy about sharing this gospel message, even this Christmas season, as we reflect on the birth and the life of Jesus. Our God, we come to you today, and I pray that you would help us with this message. I know there's so many different scriptures, and we only looked at just a handful of them. But, Lord, the proof is there that you were fully the Son of God. Lord, that you were sufficient for our salvation. And, Lord, that you were everything that we need. I pray that you would help us to lean on this and be busy about sharing the gospel message with others. But ladies and gentlemen, this is just going to be a brief moment for you to be able to do business with the Lord. Perhaps right now, even on your mind, there's someone you know that isn't saved, that needs to hear this message. While we can't save others, we can bring them to a decision point. We can show them the evidence and then ask them the question, what will you do? God commanded us to be fishers of men. We're just the fishers. God's the one that does the saving. So we spread the gospel news. We spread the seeds, as the Bible says. And then we pray for God to give the increase. I also ask you this. If you're here today, and right now, you don't know whether you'd be in heaven or not when you die. You've never considered actually understanding Jesus as the Son of God. Please come visit with me. It's my favorite thing in all the world to show someone from the Bible how they can know they get to go to heaven. 
Lord, I thank you for this day. As we've been able to look at the Bible and reflect on who you are, how you lived and who you still currently are. Lord, I thank you that you would send your son. I thank you, Jesus, that you would come to be pierced, that you would allow yourself to be bruised and to be striped. Lord, that your wounds would heal us and that your sufferings would bring us peace. God, thank you. Lord, for those of us that have people that we know and that we love that don't know you, I pray you just help us to be the lights to them, that they might also come to the saving knowledge of you. I pray you bless each and every person here today as we consider and reflect on that question of what we will do with the knowledge of Christ. I ask you bless us now, too, as we dismiss. We're getting ready to go into this Christmas week next week as we celebrate your birth. Lord, I look forward to all the time that we get to spend together as friends and family. And Lord, a wonderful time of year this is. But may we never forget to set time aside to worship you. We love you, Jesus, and thank you. For it's in your name. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening so well. Again, I, I realize today's message was largely academic, but this is stuff that we need. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, come back. We'll be here on uh, Christmas Eve. Of course, we'll look at the Christmas story. We'll actually talk about that. And then on Christmas Day, one service, 11 o'clock, we'll have our main service. Uh, that'll be a good service there, too. We've got some things. Definitely, we'll talk more about the Christmas story and what happened on that day. It's going to be a really good day. Uh, so look forward to seeing you, all of you there. Uh, so give us here about 15 minutes. We'll be back in here again. Today, we're going to talk about uh, having things done in the balance when it comes to celebrating Christmas. And that's, I'm not going to be one of these guys that automatically comes out the gate and says, oh, if you do anything with Santa Claus, that's just wicked. No, there's actually some really neat history to that. We're going to talk about the history, where all that comes from, and take a look at it biblically as well. I think it'll, it'll be good. You'll enjoy it. Um, so we'll be back in about 15 minutes. Guys, as always, I love you, and we're dismissed.